0: afternoon, wherever the case may be around this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when we consider things from the near, near future to the far shores, literally, and twisted dimensions and strange politics and... Bizarre natural occurrences in deep space And unusual things tonight happening in low Earth orbit Welcome Um, We're going to have a very intriguing show Because we're going to be delving into something That literally has never happened before And began about two days ago And I will explain what I mean by that As we go through the morning Um, First let me direct your attention Those of you who are new to the other side of midnight, to our website, theothersideofmidnight.com. If you go there and you click on tonight's banner, which says, rather dramatically, right now, the Russians are making the first live action space movie in space. Click on that banner, that will take you to tonight's guest page. Under the guest page, you will see the usual fast links to items. Click on my name. We're leading again the news tonight with La Palma. Uh, I hope everyone, particularly on the east coast of the United States and in Europe and in Canada and in the Caribbean and the Gulf Coast and in northern South America are watching La Palma carefully because it's doing very curious things. It began erupting uh, several weeks ago, this little island, this volcano off the northwest coast of Africa. And why we're all so fixated uh, on this is because of what could happen. If if there's a sufficiently large volcanic event, if there's a, a large enough swelling of the island due to underground magma pressures, which is the way uh, volcanoes work, uh, based on what happened back in 1949, which was a major earthquake which literally split the island In about two and so one half is poised at an angle against the other half and is kind of being held together by friction Uh, if there's a sufficient seismic event the half that is sundered will slide ultimately at several hundred miles an hour into the Atlantic Ocean 500 billion tons of basalt and that will raise a huge wave. In fact, some estimates I've seen that the initial wave raised would be something like 3,000 feet high. Let me repeat that, 3,000 feet high. And then that wave would take off at the speed of sound in water um, at several hundred miles an hour, close to six, 700 miles an hour, in all directions from little tiny La Palma, and it would reach the um, western coasts of Europe very soon. In a few hours, it would reach the eastern coast of the United States. In between six and nine hours, it would take longer for the wave to get around the uh, you know tip of Florida into the Gulf of Mexico. But let's say ten, twelve hours for that. Uh, same amount for Caribbean islands. Maybe a little longer for the northern coast of South America. Why is all this important? Because by the time it reaches the continental shelf offshore of the continents of the Atlantic Basin, that wave could rise again to something approaching, according to some geological estimates, a thousand feet high. I mean, you all saw this in the movie Deep Impact, except uh, on that occasion, the wave was caused by a impact of an asteroid literally just off the east coast so there was no warning in this case if you've got your phones tuned to La Palma to the seismic events if you are tuned to the uh, item number one in my links tonight La Palma Canary Islands updates click on that that will tell you all you need to know and you really need to monitor La Palma now Mm -hmm. this is why One of our two models for La Palma and a number of other major volcanoes like Etna, like uh, Kilauea, um, I think there's been a rumor about Mount St. Helens, um, all seem to be kind of uh, doing their thing at once. What are the odds? I mean, I posted a, a piece of analysis last week, if you'll look back at last week's show, which said that the apparent increase in smaller earthquakes not major earthquakes but smaller earthquakes and volcanic events is a selection effect it's an observer effect there's a lot more people looking with social media we get to know about this stuff you know more often now than we used to decades ago so i'm not sure i totally believe that model because one of the things that i've been looking for going all the way back to a show that Art had with a a geophysicist where he said very bluntly back in the 1990s that there were real increases in volcanic activity matching the increase in hurricane severity. And uh, there were other geophysical events that he was talking about all kind of accelerating or increasing in intensity simultaneously and i heard this this was back in the beginnings of uh, our investigation of the hyperdimensional torsion field model and i said well that's interesting because that's what the model would predict so up until now this has been an exercise in theory again the odds of anything happening catastrophically la palma are very 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 low but they are not zero and if we've learned anything through this pandemic, it's small numbers uh, over a large amount of time can be very problematic. So keep watching La Palma. If you want to see something really dramatic, however, that's in support of the torsion field model as the fueling energy source for La Palma, you want to take a look at my item number two. This is from an article that was posted a few days ago in the Washington Post uh, I would have put up the entire article. Unfortunately, the post has a paywall. I hate paywalls. Come on. You know, when there's really critical life-saving information, you know, make it available. You know, it won't really hurt your bottom line. Come on. But they didn't, so I was able to excerpt the image. This is a uh, satellite image, a NASA satellite image, and it's a narrow spectral band uh, imager. Uh, which is a more fancy name for camera, which takes images in multi-spectral bands and you put them together in some versions you can get, you know, color, full color, red, green, blue. Look at the remarkable, and you can click on this, it gets bigger. Look at the remarkable circular wave pattern centered on the volcano at La Palma. I mean, it looks like someone had dropped an enormous stone or bowling ball into the uh, uh, eastern uh, uh, side of the island and it had liquefied it and you get these extraordinary wave fronts. Well, there's a dynamic version of this. If you click on the Twitter link just below, and I'm doing that now in real time, that will take you to Twitter, which is loading... And you will see there a really remarkable time lapse, both from the ground and from orbit, of the volcanic emissions moving upwards in a vertical column and then spreading out in the form of these amazing concentric atmospheric rings of condensing water vapor. Now the caption said this is caused by a Saharan air mass, which is moving horizontally, and it's causing a temperature inversion, so that uh, uh, the plume from the volcano is kind of running into a atmospheric ceiling, where it then spreads out. Forget the uh, the dynamics of why we're able to see it. Look again at the at the enlargement when you click on that image of what you're seeing. You're seeing rings with nothing in between. The only way that happens is if the volcano in emitting this vertical column of hot gas and ash is pulsing. It's vibrating. The emissions are occurring in a rhythmic, very low frequency cycle. And I have never seen this as far as I can remember, in any other volcano around the world at any time. And we've had satellites, you know, we've had Tyros up there for for decades, uh, the the original uh, weather observation satellites, which could have seen this kind of phenomenon. No, this appears to be unique to La Palma. And it's not so much why we're getting to see it, which is a kind of a free coincidence of the Saharan air, the inversion, etc., but if the volcano was emitting energy constantly, you would not see rings. You wouldn't see pulsations. This looks like a dynamic visual effect caused by condensing water vapor as the kind of tracer, you know, the dye in the stream, of the pulsing invisible infrasonic energy which is somehow being inputted to the La Palma volcano and so the energy is not continuous, it's coming in low frequency pulses now the natural model says that this could just be an amplification of the background physics which is kind of coalescing around this volcano to show us this phenomenon a more, well problematic explanation is that someone with an artificial torsion field energy technology is doing this artificially. In other words, they are pulsing energy into the volcano through invisible torsion field frequencies. And because of the Saharan air, the inversion, water vapor in the Earth's atmosphere, we're able to see the pulsations spreading out under this inversion as a series of concentric rings, just like dropping a pebble in a pond. And this, of course, is the worst case scenario, because if this isn't natural, if this is not just the general... Uh, increase in the background physics of the planet, in fact, of the entire solar system, at this particular time in galactic history. Then is someone doing this? Are they doing this to, shall we say, threaten the powers that be? Every nation bordering the Atlantic Basin, which would be radically, dramatically, catastrophically affected If half the island were to slide into the Atlantic, if this is not just a natural sequence of events, if someone is using some device to pulse energy into La Palma, this, image number two, and the Twitter video, is exactly what you would see. So keep watching La Palma. Put the alerts on your phone. On the East Coast, if something really radical happens, you'll have about six to nine hours to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Item number three. The reason we're kind of here tonight is we're, we're celebrating a very intriguing event. So if you click on item number three, uh, a couple days ago the Russians launched the first glamorous actress... She's not an astronaut. She's not a cosmonaut. She's not a specialist. She is an actress who has starred in major Russian films for many, many years. She and a producer director were lofted into space by a, um, a Soyuz spacecraft earlier in the week, rendezvoused after one and a half orbits. They're now inside the International Space Station. And for the next 11 days, They are going to be filming major portions of a russian space film called the challenge and if you want the details you click on item number three what is curious of course is that this marks another russian first remember the russians were the first to launch a spacecraft into orbit sputnik which was the anniversary a few days ago about five days ago They were the first to launch living creatures, uh, the dog Laika. They were the first to launch uh, a cosmonaut, uh, a man, Yuri Gagarin, into low Earth orbit. They were the first to launch a woman cosmonaut, Valentina Tereshkova. And now they have launched the first film crew whose sole job for the next 11 days is to shoot this interesting blonde bombshell in the space station in her role as a premier heart surgeon who is ferried up to the space station to operate in zero gravity on a cosmonaut being played by one of the cosmonauts in the space station tonight who has somehow suffered a severe uh, heart condition that will not allow him to make it back in re-entry to the Earth alive. So she has to be ferried up in an emergency mission to operate on this cosmonaut and his heart condition in zero gravity and thereby hangs what I imagine the Russians are hoping is a very interesting and lucrative space tale. Now, what's curious about this is for the last several months, we've been hearing rumors that Tom Cruise is making some kind of a deal with Elon Musk to go up in the uh, Dragon uh, spacecraft, the the Dragon crew spacecraft, and also rendezvous with the International Space Station and to shoot a portion of his uh, live action uh, Mission Impossible series in space. What is really intriguing is obviously the Russians beat Tom Cruise and Musk to the punch. And inquiring minds, particularly mine, kind of want to know, how did this happen? Remember, Elon Musk is the guy who put his own Tesla Roadster into orbit in an incredible branding exercise for launching his first uh, heavy lift launch version of the Falcon 9. How could he get upstaged by the Russians? Uh, we will be discussing that tonight with our panelists, so uh, let us move on. Now, while all this is happening, uh, something else really bizarre happened. Um, president Vladimir Putin, who, of course, is the Russian president, uh, in conjunction with the deputy prime minister, Dmitry Rozhkozhin, um, who, are, who is heavily involved in the Russian space program, has issued an edict. Over here, we call it an executive order. In Russia, they call them edicts. He has forbidden space reporters, both Russian and foreign, from covering, from reporting on details of the Russian space program. Simultaneously, now, now they get this, simultaneously with the Russians achieving another first shooting the first uh, feature length space film in real zero gravity in the space station in the Russian section of the station, the president of Russia has forbidden the press to cover the mission and any ancillary technology or uh, weapons related or militarily related stories connected to the entire Russian space program. Um, talk about conflicted and obviously our panelists are going to be discussing that tonight oh and if that weren't enough we now have the following piece of really intriguing information space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization. Yes, you're not dreaming, because Captain Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, uh, alias William Shatner, is finally, after all these decades, going into space in a Jeff Bezos Blue Origins spacecraft. And in fulfillment of a very old uh, Star Trek joke stemming from the film Generations, he's leaving next Tuesday. Okay, can can life get any weirder than fiction? I don't think so. And of course, last week we talked about uh, how it would be really cool if... Um, uh, Musk made him an offer that he can't refuse and that uh, Bill went into space, really into space, not just for five minutes, for maybe hours and hours or days and days in a starship if he actually went around. I mean, there's nothing that can preclude him from kind of getting his feet wet on this uh, suborbital Alan Shepard type hop after he finds at the age of 90 that he's hale and Hardy and I know there's a space.com story out there that he's terrified. I I really don't think so. I think this is uh, Bill with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek because nothing's forcing him to go. If he didn't want to go, he doesn't have to go. Um, So he's going at a suborbital hop. Once he kind of realizes how much fun it's going to be, maybe he will want to go for longer. Maybe he will want to visit the space station. Maybe in 2023, when Musk is planning to take his first tourists in the starship on their first odyssey around the moon, maybe Bill Shatner will be in command of his first real starship. Stay tuned. Finally, um, item number six, and we're going to have some fun with this tonight, We've got all these civilians now suddenly going into space. We've got uh, uh, Musk successfully launched and returned the Inspiration4 crew uh, at the end of this month, literally on Halloween Eve, on the 30th of uh, October, the um, uh, third uh, Dragon crew is going to be lofted by a Dragon spacecraft called Endurance named after the famed Shackleton expedition to the space station to take over from the crew number two, which is currently a part of the uh, ISIS contingent. And uh, uh, with all this civilian traffic, one cannot wonder how long it's going to be until what people have been talking about, whispering about, and some dreaming about for many decades comes to pass when in fact there will be documented history-making love in space. And I imagine that we're going to get around to talking about this um, later in the evening as well. Well, without further ado, um, let me kind of stop there and uh, introduce my guests of the evening. Uh, They are very familiar to all of you, starting in no particular order because I, uh, uh, you know, just kind of picked them out of a hat here as uh, they come up on the screen. We, of course, have John Womack. Um, John began leaving his body without a spacecraft in 1965 at the age of six. A year later, after watching an episode of The New Adventures of Superman, Jonathan assumed a ghostly version of the Man of Steel for his astral excursions, a practice that apparently, according to John, continues to this day he also is currently a uh, producer and uh, head of a very interesting new multimedia uh, effort on the um, i think it's the paranormal network uh if i'm if i'm wrong about that he will he will uh, correct me it's called the OBE show it's uh on amazon prime and other places and so uh, he'll be with us tonight talking about one of his favorite loves which is spaceflight. Ron Gerbron is a member of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team and a generalist all the way around is with us. Uh, Timothy Saunders, who was our nautical um, architect from the uh, wilds of Turkey, is able to join us tonight. And uh, he's been doing a separate analysis of the ruins, the Zurong ruins that we talked about uh, a week ago that the Chinese landed next to in Utopia, Policia. And then, much to our surprise, they ran like hell from, in fact, uh, talking about. And, of course, we have Keith Morgan with us, um, who was a uh, major uh, component of Nightline for many, many decades and has created something way back when called the Morgan Curve applied to Cydonia and the ineffable mathematics that uh, uh, we've uh, discovered there. And last but not least, we will be joined later in the evening, I believe, by Andrew Curry, who is our resident film expert. He's uh, attending a Canadian Thanksgiving party tonight, which was kind of a command performance by his better half, and so he will be joining us a little later in the program. So without further ado, let me open the lines and welcome everybody back to the other side of midnight hey richard hi there hey please. uh you're a little muffled run muffled muffled like you're wearing a big muffler still muffled no better better keep okay, talking me... okay better well, much better much nothing. better okay, okay. well there's nothing okay that's timothy something. are you with us I am. Good evening. Hi there. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's start with the Russians in orbit. Um, Who wants to react to something I find very historic? Because remember, it's not all the documentaries about space that captured the hearts and minds of the American people and then the world. It was a fictional television show about space called Star Trek. That my old friend Gene Roddenberry created which basically captivated the public's imagination their ability to dream etc etc and now their captain is finally going into space so what the Russians are doing tonight in shooting this movie my opinion is it's a big big
1: deal who wants to respond first well can I jump in there Richard sure John um, I think I I can't explain this in three minutes, but I want to. Who says throw you have to do this. it in three minutes? <laughs> um, we got a break coming up.
0: Well, so. We can always pick it up on the other side. I mean, the name of the show is the other side. Come
1: on. <laughs> well, I think this is all classic NASA ritualism that goes back to. I can trace it back to 1971. Okay. And, and Russell Targ and SRI. And Werner von Brahm.
0: Now, how do you trace a Russian activity back to NASA?
1: Well, um, I uh, actually produced a ninety-minute uh, film with Russell. And over six, seven months, we we talked every day at length, and uh, I got to know him pretty well. And and he was telling me about um, that's how SRI got started was uh, NASA. That's who that's who funded it. It was okayed. If it wasn't for Werner von Braun, there'd be no SRI. Russell was looking for funding, and he had a meeting with Wernher um, on the East Coast out here. I believe it was uh, New York.
0: Maybe I'm missing yeah. something, but what does this have to do with the Russians filming, you know, their first movie in space?
1: Am I dense tonight? <laughs> no, this has to do with Tom Cruise and Scientology. Yes, there's like a flow chart Okay. So
0: you're setting us up for a big tease on the other side. We will fill in the blanks. Okay. I can buy that. Um, All right. Um, I can never get enough of this. So what we're going to do here on the other side of midnight is we're going to do this.
2: this is all blow over, you know? And now they're kind of realizing that it isn't. But, but because people would not take the jab, they're basically holding them to ransom, holding them hostage in their homes, basically saying that the, the only way to establish freedom again is to take the jab. And so people are sort of gradually complying. A lot of people are gradually complying. But so many people are dying from it. I mean, they're, they're basically genociding this country is what they're doing. And they're using it as an example for the rest of the world. And the Australian people, I mean, they're pretty kind of laid back. I mean, I, I call the place Apothralia because they're a pretty apathetic bunch. Um, I mean, I love them, but they just, you know, she'll be right, mate. You know, it's all good. Don't worry. You know, no worries, mate. This all, this whole attitude. And um, they're starting to see now that actually, actually things are going a little pear-shaped. There's going to be a rude awakening for them, I think. Within the next 12 months, they're going to realise just how much they've been played. And there's going to be this uh, five-minute red pill moment where they just have complete meltdowns, I think, once they really see what's going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are sort of getting it, but, but a lot of people aren't. They're still thinking it's going to go away. They're still thinking the government is their friend. I mean, the whole plan of this, the plan is to run this pandemic until 2025. That's when the funding runs out. Uh, if you look at the World Bank, you can look at the funding for COVID. It starts in April 2020 and runs until March 2025, March 31st, 2025. So that's how long they intend to run it for, they Tend to be in the in their new world by 2025. See, the way they're going to do it, they'll, they'll crash the United States last, they'll, do, they'll crash the United States probably in 2025, it'll be a gradual process because See, we've been disarmed here, so they can do certain things in, in certain ways and get us to comply with that. They're going to have to employ different countries in different ways. By the time they've destroyed most of the world around it, the United States will be last because it's a very robust, very strong sort of a nation. Everybody's armed. So they're going to break down the food chain and all that sort of stuff. So you will see what's happening in Australia in the United States around about 2025 is what they plan to do. This is Max Segan, and I suggest that you tune into the other side of the news for information that you may not find at other sources, and it's always good to be up with what's really being said.
0: night free flight Zero out Nine a.m. And I'm gonna be high As a kite by then I miss the earth so much my wife. It's lonely out space. And welcome back on this Saturday night, October 9th, to the other side of midnight. Uh, needless to say, I disagree with every single thing that guest on the other side of the news said, but I am an absolute adamant defender of the First Amendment, and I believe in his right to say it. The good news is science is nothing if it's not prediction. I will make you a counterforce prediction that everything he said is dead-ass wrong. Our subject this morning is the Russians filming the first movie, you know, kind of 2021 Space Odyssey for real. Except they're calling it the challenge. And why are they calling it the challenge? Because the plot basically is about a beautiful Russian surgeon who is medevaced by an emergency Soyuz mission to the International Space Station to save the life of a Russian cosmonaut who was undergoing cardiac distress in the extreme. He cannot survive re-entry and landing back on Earth, so she has to fix him in orbit, in zero gravity. Surgery with blood in zero gravity. Remember um, that great movie, one of the Star Trek series called, uh, um, oh, what was the darn, The Undiscovered Country? The plot turned on zero gravity and blood, interestingly enough. And, of course, Bill Shatner was a key part of that. Well, while this Russian mission, for real, is going on upstairs, shooting a first movie not as a kind of an ancillary, oh, it would be cute to do something in the space station. No, the film centers on the Russian space program, a beautiful blonde Russian surgeon saving the life of one of the Russian cosmonaut heroes in zero gravity, in space, a real rocket man. So the Russians have plunged foot first into a dizzying series of potential plot lines involving real space dramas shot in real space. And again, the question I have is, why is Tom Cruise and Elon Musk number two? I mean, Elon could have launched uh, Cruise to do this months ago, maybe a year ago. So why are they number two? Well John Womack, I believe, may have an answer so um, after this song ends, I just I just love this song. <laughs> we will get back to our guests on the other side of midnight in 2021, October 9th.) And I think it's gonna be- Okay, John, now that we've teased them
1: mercilessly, you're on. Well, I don't know about answers, but it's at least a working theory, and it's just things that occurred to me as I'm reading these articles about the Russians in space, and Tom Cruise and so forth, but it just reminded me of Russell talking about getting this program going, and he thought NASA was the answer to funding this, and... He met with Werner, and he gave... Werner played with his uh, ESP teaching machine, with Russell Targ's ESP teaching machine, where you try to predict what the next number is going to be when you press a button. And Russell's pitch worked, and um, Werner said, yes, we're going to fund this. Now, I believe that... They were very interested in using remote viewing for studying the solar system. And Ingo Swan was one of the remote viewers and he was, you know, NASA came over one day and said, we're sending this satellite out to Jupiter and like it'll be there in eight months. Can you go have a look and tell us what you see there? And of course Ingo said, well, I, This is back in the 1970s, right? Yes, this is in the early 70s. And I believe you're talking
0: about the Pioneer 10 mission, which left Earth in 1972 in November.
1: That's right. Yeah, SRI started in 1972, and, um, you know, they were up and running. They're doing experiments with, with remote viewing, and Ingo is a very powerful remote viewer, and they also had a gentleman named Pat Price, who... Russell calls the most psychic man in the world at, at that time. Well, Ingo was, too. They both were. But, um, so Ingo goes out and has a look at Jupiter and says, yes, I see these rings around it. They go, no, you're looking at Saturn. He says, no, there's ice rings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been doing this all my life, and there's ice rings there. Take it to the bank So of course Eight months later When they get there And they take the pictures They see Oh my gosh There's ice rings
0: Well let me Let me stop you there They're they're not ice He was was half right They are Particles of sulfur That are emitted By the Ionian volcanoes That are ejected Beyond the um, uh, The uh, uh, Gravitational field of Io The inner volcanic moon And they can't get away from Jupiter, so they coalesce into very narrow banded rings that were seen uh, by the Pioneer spacecraft very crudely and seen much better in far higher detail because the cameras were better on the uh, first Voyager flyby of, uh, of Jupiter back in the early 1980s. So, yeah, Ingo was right. There are rings around Jupiter, they're just not made of ice.
1: Hmm, interesting. So NASA is very interested now, even more so in remote viewing, and now Pat Price was a Scientologist, and there's a lot of mystery around his death, because the CIA decided to, they wanted to take over control from Russell and uh, his partner Hal Puthoff, they wanted to run the program and have you know they're they're running the shots and all this. You know they wanted to have the power, and um, so they did that. And well, just like they first photographed surreptitiously the incredible
0: glass structures on the moon, on under Project Corona, and didn't tell anybody that's
1: what they were doing. Hmm. Makes you wonder if they knew they were there before. Of course they <laughs> did. Of course yeah. they did. Anyway, mm-hmm. continue. Well, so. NASA lost some of their control there, or their, you know, their friendship and everything with SRI, because now the CIA, see, it's this power struggle going on, so now Pat Price moves from California over to Virginia so that he can work with the CIA on the Stargate program, and the main thing was to spy on the Russians and the Chinese, but They were also looking at the planets, and they knew that Pat Price, who could read the codes, the launch codes off the president, you know, the the codes in the president's pocket, he can see those. And NASA was just very worried about him. And um, When they found out that he was giving secrets to his Scientology boss, or whatever you call uh, you know, the, the head of the Scientology there. And NASA, there was a Scientologist in the upper echelons of NASA as well. So Pat was sharing this top-secret information, I believe, about numerous planets, you know, Mars and the Moon, and I, I'm sure they were Well, I at-
0: know through my context, because remember the first independent Mars investigation team was based at SRI brought in by Lambert Dolphin who was a senior physicist there and we conducted our first survey of Sidonia and other places, a very synoptic uh, research effort and as part of that just up the corridor was a guy named Ed May who was part of this remote viewing group mm-hmm. and uh, Ingo Swan and he had looked at Mars. And in the midst of our looking at NASA imagery, the Viking orbital imagery of Sidonia and trying to figure out, you know, was it real, was it Memorex, were there mathematics, etc., uh, Swan reports seeing in his remote viewing uh, persona that there were active technologies still functioning at Sidonia. literally at the other end of the complex over by what we used to call the uh, crater pyramid and if you don't think that through on uh, the pigeons
1: mm.
0: yeah absolutely and then so what does this have to do with Tom Cruise come on come on we only got three hours
1: well Tom Cruise is part of Scientology so and what Scient- they believe but so well, what? they want control of, they want the control of space and they're also yeah but like NASA, NASA's not doing this
0: the Tom Cruise movie that he's talking with Musk about launching has nothing to do with NASA The only the only interface. You read the
1: articles. It says Tom did a deal with Elon and NASA.
0: Yeah, but the only deal with NASA is they have to give him permission to dock at the space station. But remember the Russians. The Russians are also key players in the space station. In fact, there's a multinational European community. So, and again, why did not Cruz and Musk upstage the Russians? Why did we allow, again, like uh, Eisenhower, allowed Sputnik to happen? And that's a very long story. Why did we allow
1: the Russians, again, to get one more first in space? Hmm. It makes you wonder. It could be that it just took longer for them to, they're writing the script, and they're doing the storyboards, and it's just a thing. Or there could be more to it.
0: Okay. Know. Anybody else? Tim?
3: Well, i think uh, it's a a perfect enigma because
0: a perfect enigma yeah. okay
3: well i mean with cgi there's absolutely no need to go to space you can much far more easily oh yeah, yeah but come on come on come on oh like no no space.
0: yeah then, the, the actuality is, second, is 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 what you want here you want it really done in space come on so once yeah. you establish that as your parameter Again, why did no, I, I, Musk allow me, themselves to Richard. be beaten to the punch?
3: You ask me, and then you're dictating my answer. That's not my answer. My answer is it's much easier to do it in the studio, in my opinion.
0: Well, we know and that. Then, it's not well, even okay, an issue. So
3: why, why bother going to space and then putting a press ban on it? Why, because why that? of an
0: bragging anime. rights. Most go. people go for reality as opposed to CGI any day of the week. You know, they they will will gravitate towards something that's real in a world full of things that are not real. They'll go for something real. Well, the Russians are really shooting this movie in space. So when they open it in the theaters worldwide, writes our first movie shot in space, not on a soundstage.
3: I don't think it's the first movie. I think, technically speaking, there has been a previous movie. Uh, well, there have been all kinds of documentaries,
0: but this is the first. Yes. Uh, can you remember the name of the fictional film then? Not at the top of my head. Oh, you I'm did? Not. Yes. Oh.
4: You think of it for 15 minutes. Yeah, I think there there was something. I can't remember what it was either.
3: It was like a, a, a movie, documentary, docu-movie sort of thing. It was... Uh, but... To go back to the point you're asking, it it is purely to create an enigma for bragging rights and for publicity. That's what it is. Right. So there's no
0: need to... We all agree. Okay. I mean, don't you think Stanley Kubrick, if he'd been offered a chance to shoot 2001 in orbit, he would have jumped at the chance? I'm not so sure. I mean,
4: (laughs) really. In his case, I'm not so sure either. Sorry, Tim, I'm just agreeing with you silently in the background here. Not so silently. (laughs) Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. Oh, no, I just think uh, you're forgetting that uh, Tom Cruise has a gigantic ego. I really enjoy the Mission Impossible movies, but one of their features, which is every single one of them, not just this one, is that he does his own stunts. I mean, it has shut the the procedures down for months on occasion when he's just about killed himself. I mean, he's actually hanging off an airplane while it's taking off, you know, and and all this other kind of stuff. And so it was necessary if they were going to have something that was based. So we have to presume it's a plot point and not just a little addendum like in, um, what was that? It Was it Diamonds Are Forever or Skyfall? I don't know, one of the Bond movies where they uh, couldn't have been
1: Skyfall. Moonraker.
4: Moonraker, thank you. Yeah, and uh, you know they didn't send anybody up into space for that, but that there wasn't really any private space.
0: No, there was no way they could have done that then.
4: No, but as far as the, as far as that, they've also been shut down for a year because of the pandemic. Even with all the pull that Tom Cruise and Scientology's money and everything else, they couldn't get clearances for most of that time. You know, they could do the, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And so it dragged on. And I mean, how do you plan that? How do you say, okay, Elon, we're ready to go on. Because
0: all astronaut missions have a two week quarantine period, you know, going back to the first Mercury flight so that your astronauts do not get colds or the measles, et cetera, et cetera. So quarantining the crew and the launch teams and all that would have been de rigueur, piece of cake, no problem. COVID-19 did not delay the Tom Cruise effort. Maybe you're right about scripting, because particularly if the script is central, like the Russian script is central to shooting in the station, you know, Cruise and Musk don't want to be, you know, uh, shall we say, eclipsed by something that looks like a stunt as opposed to something that's integral. So that could have been one of the hang-ups. You know, a good script is not...
4: Yeah, well, the 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 monkey wrench in all of this was the um, Russians' activities because I it, it I don't think it was important to Tom Cruise from his side exactly when they went up. I I, uh, I believe without having talked with Elon Musk about it that this was you know totally in Elon's camp. You know, okay, when you can handle this, we'll go and we'll do this part of the movie. You know, they'd want some warning, they'd want all the all the build up and the preamble and the quarantine and everything else that you talked about, but they'd have everybody cleared and ready and they could go when they needed to when it was available. But it wasn't a race at that point, and then the Russians without anybody knowing they were coming.
0: Whoops, did we lose Ron? Yeah. I think yeah, I think, uh, yeah I, did, uh, let me l- let me complete what he was saying because he's an airs are planning to do the same thing. In fact, they announced right after uh the cruise effort was rumored. So we've known for years about this and the idea that the uh the Russians have again upstaged the West, I just find very intriguing.
1: Well, Here, I wonder if, if the message cruises- I'm sorry. thank you. Oh. <laughs> Richard, I wanted to add that Tom Cruise's movie is probably a much bigger scale than the Russians operating on the, the you know, the person movie, so...
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, in both productions, um, I, I've heard of rumors that they're going to shoot some scenes in the cupola, which is this wonderful windowed view of the world from 260 meters that faces the Earth, the nadir position on the station. And if you light it properly, you've got this incredible, dramatic backdrop of the Earth moving under you, sunrises, sunsets. So that would be interesting. The only thing that they could do Hello. to, to yeah. Hiron, the only thing they could do Sorry. that would upstage that would be, of course, an EVA. And Which I'm I, wonder-
1: think I think they're doing in the movie.
0: Well, I haven't been able to find a script, so I don't know. Um, but I would say if, if they, do, if they don't, do not do this, whoever goes up next for the film crew, i.e. crews, uh, is definitely going to do this. So, you know, and shooting out space station is, well, it actually can be dangerous, you know. If, yeah. you're not, if yeah. Well, because you don't want to yeah. drift off. You know, yeah. they they do wear this thing uh, American astronauts called a SAFER, which is an acronym, but basically it's a little uh, jet pack, that allows you, if the tether separates, to maneuver yourself with nitrogen gas jets back to the space station. But that has to be practiced. And if you don't know how you're doing, you could put yourself into a roll or a spin and not really move toward the station. You could move away. In other words, that part, really, you cannot simulate easily on the ground. So that may be one of the things that's taken more time because it would be very embarrassing for everybody involved if Tom Cruise, you know, becomes the first, you know, actor lost in space.
1: Hmm. Hmm. By the time he gets there they might have another wing on the ISS. It's like a food court with Arby's and <laughs> 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 Okay. John is pulling off.
0: Yep. Um, okay, before we finish this this multimedia thing, uh, John, I see you got some interesting things connected in your section tonight. You want to
1: take us through them? Yeah, there's not much to say. you You said you uh, invited me on from my producer perspective, so I shared some trailers of some of my work, and uh, a couple of them are shows that, you know from from you. Apollo 1150th Anniversary, Part 1 and 2. And, um, oh, the Balanced Rock Anomalies. Yeah, it's a pretty good video. That was back in August 15th when Keith was showing his pictures from Utah. Oh, that's number five in your section. Five, yes. And uh, I just had to stop. I had several projects going, but I just had to stop what I was doing and say, come on. On this is ridiculous. this is well for those that missed the show, tell us why what is ridiculous. Don't assume anything of your audience. Well, there's an area called Balanced rock and uh, it's portrayed as some interesting erosion, but it's it's not erosion. this is the an area the whole western us is just full of this stuff and it's all, this whole area is is carved and sculpted, and I mean, I can't hardly even look at it. It just it's it's disgusting that people are walking around going, "Look at this interesting erosion, and you have all these beautiful sculptures of deities and animals uh, that represent gods and so forth. So yeah, it's a good video if you have time.
0: Okay. Well, don't give yourself short shrift. go th- go through these. You got one oh. called fly through Use the opportunity at <laughs> the world at your fingertips. Talk about yourself. okay you're You're sure. much too modest.
1: Uh-huh. All right. Well, number six is uh, a set design that is for um, Maria Wheatley Project. Maria's been on the show several times, and as many of your listeners know, she's a, a dowser and she's very knowledgeable about um, Earth energy. Well her
0: father's an archaeologist and she is what I would think of as a kind of a hyperdimensional uh, archaeologist. She's into the energies of these sacred sites particularly what happens during and after eclipses at places like Stonehenge.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it and she's found some new information in her research and she sent me a ton of materials, and I'm going to be putting these things uh, into the virtual realm and model uh, some of these ancient structures that are no longer there that she believes were were part of Stonehenge back in the day. Um, so I don't want to say too much about it because uh, she's ha- she has a book coming out about it too. This and so this show in the book we do you come know
0: out. the pub date.
1: Yeah, we're looking at summer uh, 2022, next ah, summer. Oh okay. Because Maria, for-
0: you, you might want to talk about Halloween, since you since it was your idea and you set it up.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Maria is going to be on Halloween night, October which 31st. Is Sunder, which is Sunday, the 31st. Sunday, the 31st, and she'll be on with Georgia Lambert and uh, Natalie from Paraflix. Uh, Paraflix is what you were, the word you were looking for earlier, Richard. It, not Oh, uh, thank you, thank you. Not paranormal, but uh, Paraflix.com uh, is where you'll find all my shows, and there's also on uh, Amazon Fire Stick and Apple TV and Prime and all these things. But uh, Cool. So yeah, Mar- Maria's going to be on Halloween night, and she's going to talk about some of the history of, of Halloween going back to Stonehenge and, and before, and so, um, anyway, you have the, a that, very, very hyperdimensional Halloween. Well, I, I almost, I, at first I included myself in that pitch, Richard, because I have some, a few terrifying stories from the other side. And um, I don't know, maybe another time or who knows. Well,
0: don't leave them on the cutting room floor. So we, <laughs> we will tease this show as we get closer. Again, the 30th. The uh, Dragon 3 crew uh, goes up to the space station, uh, four new astronauts launched by uh, uh, Elon Musk's Falcon 9 and Dragon spacecraft, this one named Endurance, after the Shackleton expedition. And then uh, the following night, we have John and Georgia and Maria and Natalie to talk about Halloween and the hyperdimensional basis of the whole Halloween mythology, the thinning between worlds. Tonight we're gonna to be talking about, uh, well, beyond you know shooting major films in low Earth orbit, we're gonna be talking where this can go. Because the idea of opening up the solar system not just to professional astronauts, but to professional filmmakers and professional tourists, I mean, I'm really looking forward to uh, Elon Musk taking the first crew of tourists around the moon. Because, of course, on the moon, there's all kinds of astonishing things, which if civilians see it and Skype about it or, um, you know, any of the other social media, um, once that cat is out of the box... It can never be put back in and we're going to talk about some analysis of ruins not on the moon tonight but on mars uh, tim tim saunders has done some interesting work on the chinese ruins the Zorong ruins we discussed last week and uh, i can't wait to see what his analysis has discovered you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland on this saturday night October 9th, we shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, Midnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings and you'll be able to download the mp3 files directly from the archive if you prefer as a club 19.5 member you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports we'll be adding exclusive new features to club 19.5 as we go forward and boy have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks so please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members, because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.